Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So for those of you who are visiting or aren't having with us for a while, we are chronologically going every weekend book by book through the Bible to see the larger picture of the Scripture. And so we started last week a series called Dynasty, where we're in the period of the kings. So the God's people have entered the promised land, they've conquered it, they've started to settle it, and now they have kings that are leading them in their new country of Israel. It's a brand new country, brand new thing. And so they have kings that come. We talked about them a little bit last week as we started out. Well, today, it kind of works. There there are some weeks in this schedule that God just worked out providentially to work out the way they did. Because with our anniversary Sunday, and we're in this series, today we're going to be in Psalms, which is why we're singing quite a bit, but it just happens to be a celebration Sunday, so we get to do it all together. It's going to be great. So I'm going to read one of the Psalms this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 27, and I just want to talk a couple points about this Psalm just for a few minutes, then we're going to come back and sing and celebrate some more. So it's Psalm 27. It's 14 verses. I'm going to read the whole thing just so we have the context. We kind of hear it all together, and then I want to break it apart here for just a few minutes and see uh, what King David, who wrote this Psalm, uh, has to say to us about life. So Psalm 27, verse 1. David writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. Now, notice he doesn't say if troubles come. Okay, we'll get to that. When troubles come, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So as we mentioned last week, and we'll mention again next week, we'll talk more about David. He had a pretty interesting life. Obviously, if you're the king of a country, you're going to lead a pretty interesting life. And even the stuff that happens that we talked a lot about last week before he became king, I mean, he kills a giant, 
That's a, that's a thing that not a lot of people have probably done, right? Uh, he's, he's a fugitive of the law, even though he was innocent. That doesn't happen to a lot of people, right? Unless you're Harrison Ford, uh, you know. <laughs> I did not kill my wife, you know. So maybe he's sort of that character. Uh, but he lived a very interesting life, but it was also full of trouble, as he talks about here in this psalm. He, he, let me just, a few of the things he says. When evil people come to devour me, he says, when my enemies attack me, though a mighty army surrounds me, even, and he says later on, even if I am attacked, even if my family, my mother and father abandon me. So he has an interesting life, but he's made a lot of enemies in this life. He's seen a lot of things. He's faced a lot of danger. He's had a lot of problems. And maybe you can relate. Have you ever faced any problems in your life before? Yeah, yeah. Only the kids in here have no idea what I'm talking about right now, right? You face problems. You've had issues. Life can be difficult. You've got bills to pay. You've got people to care for. You've got expectations to manage. You've got a job that you've had responsibility to maintain. Uh, there are a lot of questions that we have in life, a lot of unknowns that we have in life. So even, David even says, even if these things happen. So it doesn't mean that they are happening to him right now, but he knows the unpredictability of life. The only truth, I know Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin Franklin said the only things that are certain in life are death and taxes. But really the only certain thing in life is uncertainty. I hate to disagree with Ben. He was a pretty smart guy, you know, bifocals and lightning and all that electricity, all that stuff. But still, I mean, the only certain thing in life is uncertainty. And David sees that. He knows that at his core. Even if these things happen, even if this happens, even if, even if, even if. Maybe you're in an even if situation. Maybe you're looking at a big decision you've got to make and you are scared. Because you're like, well, what if this happens? Or what if that goes sideways? Or what if I take a chance here and it doesn't work like I had hoped? And what if I do this and then I can't afford to do that? And what if I do this and I make them upset and I fracture a relationship? We have all of these even ifs, what ifs, unpredictability in life. We can't help it. So maybe you're overwhelmed, maybe you're struggling, and maybe you're like David and things are piling up. Maybe a lot of things are happening to you right now on all sides. You're surrounded by enemies. You have all these questions, all this fear, and you're just like, what do I do? So David answers the question. He, he answers, what do we do? When all these things pile up and all these things are uncertain, when I don't know where to go, what to do, he gives us two things that we can do with our problems. There's two keys here that I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to look at today. So the first thing is, the first answer is God's presence. The first answer to our problems is God's presence. Again, verse 4, he says, one thing I ask. If you could ask God for one thing, one thing. You don't get three wishes when you rub the lamp. You get one, right? If you could have, ask God for one thing, what would it be? David says, the one thing I ask is to live in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, that's why I'm not the king of Israel, because that's probably not going to be the first thing I <laughs> ask God for, is to live in his house forever. But David asks, he makes that noble, righteous request to live in the house of the Lord forever. Then in verse 9, he says, don't turn your back on me, don't abandon me. He's asking for God's presence to be ever present in his life. And then again, verse 10, even if my parents abandon me, Lord, hold me close. So the, the key to presence is that equals relationship, a relationship with God intimacy with God, closeness to him. So I did a funeral yesterday. Um, so the, the family that we adopted for Christmas, their son passed away a little over a week ago uh, from the lung disease that he had. And so I was able to do uh, his funeral yesterday. And that was one thing I told the family, God is close in this moment. He may seem far away. He may seem like nowhere to be found. He may seem like he's abandoned you, but he is close. Can I just encourage you, no matter what you're facing today, God is close. He desires that presence to be integral part of your life not just he's a piece of the puzzle he 
He's a part of the pie of my life. You know, he's a one in seven days God. He wants to be a 24-7 God. He wants to have that relationship with his presence. That's what he desires is that intimacy. So there's a book that's about to come out that I've read the introduction for, and I, I read this a couple weeks ago, and I just thought this perfectly describes God's presence and his intimacy. So it's kind of a bit of a longer quote, but it's really good, and I think it'll make sense on where we're going today. And it says this. <clears throat> it says, To know someone, to really know him, is to see what he sees at least a little. You can't do it just by understanding his philosophy. You have to get close to him, walk with him. Hear his unsaid words, catch his inflections, do his bidding sometimes when it runs counter to your profit or your will. Do all that, and after a while, you find you've made some of his gestures or some turns of phrase or even some points of view a part of your own experiential repertoire. You can pick his voice out of a dozen voices. Imagine what he would think or say if he were with you. To know someone is to become him in a small way and to let him become a part of you. That's intimacy. Uh, so I was reading Psychology Today, an article the other day, and it was talking about it's a thing called mere exposure effect. And it's this idea where, and I've got some slides, Jackson, you can just run through those, where sometimes, yeah, owners can look like their dogs. You ever heard about that idea before? Here's some ideas of that. This is my favorite, you know, obviously the priest, you know, that's my favorite one. <clears throat> and then we got one more, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. So, mere exposure effect is not that you begin to look like your dog. That's what we think. Well, how, that, that's really offensive, honestly, to say that you look, you're beginning to look more like your dog. That's not what that means. It's, in fact, the opposite. Mere exposure effect is the idea that you see traits in a dog when you're looking for a dog, and you are more uh, apt to choose a dog that has more of your own features. That's why that happens so often. It doesn't always happen, but in many cases, especially where the owner and the dog tend to look somewhat alike, it's because subconsciously, on a deep uh, psychological level, that person has seen a similar jawline or a similar snout, if you will. I hate to use that term, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, or if you have, like, long, wavy hair, you'll, you'll pick it like, you know, a dog with long, wavy ear. It just, it happens. It's that, it's that effect. It's, that's what God wants. He wants us to begin to look like him because we pursue him, right? We pursue that. We see those things maybe that we don't see in our, it's kind of the opposite with God. We see things in him that we maybe don't see in ourselves. Like I see grace in God that I don't see, but I want to see in me. I see peace that God brings that I don't have, but I want to see in me. So I will pursue him for that reason. But there is this other part, though, and I have more pictures, where you, there is the idea that spouses, as they age, begin to look more alike. And we've got a few images there to kind of show you how that tends to work. So the reason for this phenomenon is, an, is similar to the dog thing, where we are, we are tempted to choose a partner based on similarities in how we look to some degree. Not always, but in usually some, some way there's some similarity there in most cases. But it is also true that couples do as they age and do life together in relationship, in intimacy, they do begin to share common traits. And the reason for that is because of shared experience. So they're going to have the same crow's feet because they laugh and smile a lot together, Right? Or they're going to have the same sort of, sort of different looks because they've experienced the same things together at the same time and responded to them in a similar way. So it's the same sort of idea here with God. The idea is as we spend more time with him, we become more like him. 
We see this in the book of Acts in chapter 4. Peter and John have just healed a lame man out in the city, but they've done it in the name of Jesus. They've healed him in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and this man who's been lame from birth gets up and walks. Well, the Jewish religious elites do not like this. They thought they killed Jesus. They thought they got rid of him. What are you doing talking about him? They bring Peter and John in to question them, and as they're questioning them, they make a very interesting observation. It says that the the leaders notice that Peter and John are simple, unlearned men. They are fishermen. They didn't go to a fancy school and get a degree. It says, though, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. That's what we should aspire to have. That's the answer to the problems is God's presence. We become more like him as we spend time with him, as we develop that relationship and that intimacy with him. So that's what we're looking for here. So we handle our problems through the power and joy that only spending time with Jesus can bring. There's no other answer to life's problems. Sometimes we can push through and get through it, but it's miserable the entire time. But power and joy to get us through those same situations in a different way on a different level can only come through intimacy and relationship with Jesus through his presence. There's a second answer to the problems that that David talks about here, and it's this. It's this idea of a patient pursuit. So we have problems, we need God's presence, and we have problems, so we need patient pursuit. Again, look here at what David says in verses 7 and 8. He talks about prayer. He says, I call call to you, and you answer back. Did you know that prayer is a two-way conversation? Prayer is a two-way conversation. God can, God does, and God will speak back to us. It's not just a monologue that we just, you know, God do this and God, I'm worried about that. Now, that's part of it. That's only half of it. Now, as weird or mystical or strange or hyper-spiritual as that sounds, God does want to speak back to you in prayer. And it will sound different in different ways. And even Wednesday night on Facebook, I talked about some occasions where that's happened in our lives. It's part of the story of this church is where we're praying about what God wants us to do and he reveals his plan. Now, I will say he doesn't reveal the whole plan, every step of the plan. That would be awesome, maybe. But I would still find a way to mess that up. If God told me every next step of my life, I'd end up somewhere else because I would try to make that happen on my own and still mess it up. But God will respond. He will point things out to you in your mind, in your memory, in your heart, in your spirit through someone else to confirm what he might be trying to get you to understand. God desires to speak back, but it's a patient pursuit. Prayer is part of that patient, patient pursuit. And then in verse 11, he says, teach me how to live. Teach me how to live. The goal of this patient pursuit in God's presence is to be a lifelong learner. Well, I've conquered this problem, so I've made it. Or I pushed through this difficulty, I've arrived. I don't have to learn anything more or do anything else or figure out any. No, no, it's like, what's the next thing? Again, the what ifs are always there. The even ifs are always there. So I have to continually be learning in his presence in this patient pursuit. Not be satisfied with where I am right now in my spirit, in my faith journey, but continue on in learning and growing in that relationship. And then the last verse here, verse 14, David is talking to himself. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. The key here is to not get ahead of God or behind him. 
and this is a patient pursuit. This is a lifelong process. We will not get this right all the time, maybe even most of the time. Sometimes we're way off here doing something, and it's not working out, and we're confused, and God's like, well, I'm way back here. I wasn't, I'm not there yet. I mean, he is there. He's everywhere all at once, but he's like, no, no, you're supposed to stay right here for a longer period of time than you wanted to, or than you thought you were supposed to, so we have to kind of reverse card that part of our life and go back to where God is really wanting to still do something. But we also can't lag behind. And that's the thing is God's not going to, you're not like on a dog on a leash. He's not going to just yank you through life. He's not going to do that. But what happens is we get behind what he's doing. We miss out on what he's doing. So something great's happening over here that maybe God had planned for us and we don't realize it, but we're miserable and we're stuck and we're spinning our wheels and we're just questioning everything. And God's like, man, I mean, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, I, I kind of made it very clear this is the next step, and you were just like, nope, it's too difficult, or no, it's not what I want to do right now, or I'm too busy, or whatever. And so we want to have this patient pursuit, not getting too far in front of God, not getting behind Him, but patiently pursuing Him right there by His side. And I think that's been really the key to the seven years of this church, as we have tried as best we can. Now, I'm typically... Uh, either ahead or behind. Okay, I'll just be honest. We, we are all there. And so I have to keep this in check in my own spirit, knowing that God has a direction for us. God has a plan for us. And as excited as I might get, if I go zoom, 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 it's like, nope, that's not going to work. Or if I'm like, man, I'm really comfortable here at this stage. Things are really nice here at this point. It's easier right now. And God's like, I'm doing something new, something better, something greater. You can stay where you are and just, you know, spin your wheels and go in circles. But I got something better out ahead. So as a church, we've had to do this. We faced difficulties and we faced uh, problems and we faced certainly unknowns in the seven years. You can't do anything for seven years and not have setbacks. You can't play a video game for seven, for seven minutes and not lose a level, okay? You can't do anything for seven years, and it just goes smoothly completely the whole time. So I understand that, and we know how that works. So despite all of those what-ifs and unknowns and all of the fear and uncertainty and all of the things that will try to keep us down, it's a patient pursuit of the presence of God to get through the problems of life. That's what it is. So for you, it's the same. For us as a church, it's the same. For me as your pastor, it's the same. It's, it's, it's not a formula, but it is. It's a way of life. It's a determination that I'm going to patiently pursue God's presence to help me get through whatever problems may be in front of me. And that's enough. That's enough. That's, just, that's what walking by faith really means. And so I, I hope that we can make that pursuit an everyday part of our life, that we can say yes to God at every step of the way. We can walk in step with the Spirit, as the Scripture says, to know that God is with us, God is for us, He goes ahead of us. And so if we stay the course and we don't quit, we will see God's goodness in the land of the living, as David said. We will see God's goodness. You will see it. You will see things happen that you couldn't make happen. You will see things happen that you didn't even know were possible for happening as we patiently pursue God's presence. Let's pray. God, we do know that all of us have trials. All of us have difficulty. All of us face problems, uncertainty, questions, fears, unknowns. But the answer to those problems is this patient pursuit of your presence. You will lead us and guide us exactly where you want us to go. You will do things in us and through us and for us that we cannot even begin to imagine as we just simply wait on you, as we simply pursue you, walk step in step with you. You are so faithful. You are so good. You are so powerful. And you have such great things in store for everyone in this room. And for us as a church, I do believe the best is yet to come. 
And so we walk in step with the Spirit, and we patiently pursue your presence. God, what do you have? Not what do I have. What do you want? Not what do I want. But God, as we patiently pursue your presence, everything can change. Our perspective changes. Our situation can change. The fear can subside. Uh, our, our spirit can be increased uh, and just come to come to know you and trust you even more as you bring us through trials and difficulties. As you lead us and guide us, we trust you, we believe in you, and we do believe the best is yet to come. Thank you for seven years of your faithfulness here. Thank you for decades of faithfulness represented in this room. And we thank you for the years and decades yet to come of your goodness and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.